Thank you, uh, musicians. Uh, man, just to enjoy his presence, to sing of truth, uh, and to just experience him. It's uh, incredible. Also know that his word is living and powerful, that as we look and we read from, uh, from the, these texts today that they are not just a book, but they actually do something in our hearts. They, and for centuries have done that. And uh, I've experienced in my life, many of you in this room have experienced him speaking to you. And uh, my prayer and my hope this morning is that each and every one of you would hear his voice, uh, not mine. I know you're going to hear my words, but that it would be something that hits deeper here than anything I could ever say or do. And, you know, our hope uh, as a church is that we would find Christ and find community and would help others to do the same. And today that is our hope, that we would help you find Christ today. Whether that's for the very first time and you, it, it changes the rest of your life, or if you're a Jesus follower, it's like, oh yeah, my eyes are set on him again today. And so we're going to, um, we're going to get right started right, uh, right here. So as a, um, uh, as a teen, I remember watching a movie called Of Mice and Men. Anybody remember that movie? Yeah. Of Mice and Men, yeah, it was a great one. The, the ending's a killer, but the rest of, I mean, I just thought that movie was, uh, it, it, it uh, impacted my life uh, as a teen. I, just remember, it's, I don't remember many, but I remember that one. And I wanted to uh, title today's message kind of in line with that uh, and call this Of Rabbits and Resurrections. So if you're taking notes, would you just jot that down? You're like, I don't know how to spell that. Do your best. It's all good. Of Rabbits and Resurrections. Uh, why uh, do I title that? Those will be the two main stories told this weekend around the world. There will be stories of a legendary Easter bunny that leaves chocolate eggs for good children to find. And there will also be the account of a man who died for the sins of all children, all people, and then rose from the dead. Any guesses on which one I'm talking about today? <laughs> I hope the resurrection one said, well, we'll see. But, you know, I was talking to some people the other day, and they said, you know, it must be, you know, if you picture pastoring for 40 years or something, it's got to be difficult to come up with a, you know, a new take on the same story all the time. Like, how do you come up with 40 different takes on the same story of Easter? And I thought, you know, it's a good, it's a good question. But what I realized is it is the greatest story ever told. And no matter how many times you tell it, it never gets old. There's something about it that touches us every single time we think about what happened on that cross and what happened on that Easter morning. There's a song written decades, probably maybe centuries ago. I love to tell the story of Jesus uh, or of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. And maybe you've got the tune going through your mind as you hear those words. And it it is. That story never gets old. It's It's the story of this whole Bible. From front to cover, from cover to cover, it is the message. The New Testament writers, it was their, it was their message that a man had risen from the dead. The eyewitnesses, it was their message, and the gospel, uh, the good news for us, it's that message. And so today, I encourage you to take some notes, whether it's for you or for some things that you think, oh, you know what, I, I need to share this with someone else. There's some paper in front of you, some pens, or maybe you brought your own. We're going to hop right into John chapter 19. So if you have your Bible, go all the way down to the red letters. You're going to find John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 19. You know, when we think about this and say the difference between these two stories, uh, a fairy tale about an Easter bunny and this uh, historical account of, of a man risen from the dead. We don't base that on blind faith. This isn't like, you know, oh, if you really believe it, then it will happen. We're not talking Easter bunnies and Santa Claus that if you really believe, then it's real. It's real whether you believe it or not. And the eyewitnesses wrote their accounts. that They saw something happen. 
They saw a man who was dead and risen uh, from the dead, and they wanted to make sure people knew about it. And so John actually writes about these eyewitnesses. And I just want to show you, it's not just a few. Here's what John says in John 19, 35. Hopefully you're there. It says, this report... This report, and he's actually giving a report of the crucifixion. So everything he's kind of talked about before. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you can also believe. What is he writing? He's writing of himself that he was there. He saw what happened on that cross. And he says, I'm writing this down because I was there. I can give you an accurate account of what it was. And so we have John as an eyewitness of the crucifixion. And he wrote it so that we, the reader, could believe. And then if you read through, you'll read through the rest of John 19 and 20. You'll come across some other people, a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. We just sang about Joseph's tomb. Well, Joseph and Nicodemus, two prominent men at that time, people would have known their names. They were eyewitnesses of his burial. How They were the ones who wrapped his body and put it in that tomb. Mary Magdalene, it says, was the first eyewitness to get to the tomb and see that the stone was rolled away. She was an eyewitness of that event. And then... She ran and told the disciples, and Peter and John ran all the way to that tomb, and they went inside, and they were eyewitnesses that it was indeed empty. And as they left, Mary stayed, and Jesus, the risen Jesus, met her in the garden. And she saw him for the very first time alive after he had been dead. And she goes to the rest and says in you know, John 20, 18, she's like, I have seen the Lord. And what would you do if somebody ran in here today and said, I just saw somebody who we were at their funeral three days ago. He's alive. What would you do? You're like, Looney bin, we got one for you. <laughs> right? We would. Don't, we all think we would be different. Be like, oh, yeah, I believe. No. These, and it doesn't say that they all believed. It actually tells the real story of real people who are really skeptical and really doubtful. Like they've never seen that happen before. Peter and John had been to an empty tomb, but they didn't know why it was empty. Any reason could have been. Maybe the body stolen or something else. They knew that the tomb was empty. But they, they're like, man, this woman says she saw him. A few days later, Jesus shows up in a room with ten of them, and they all see him. And when they went out later, they didn't spread this message of, oh, you know, Jesus, this was this friend of ours who had some good teachings. They're like, this was our friend who we saw dead, and now he's alive. And they were filled with great joy, it says. But they weren't all there. You're like, well, I thought there was more than 10 disciples. There was. Judas was no longer. Thomas just happened to not be there. And then they went and talked to Thomas and said, Thomas, we saw him. He's alive. And what does Thomas say? <laughs> and I believe in that. I'm not going to believe unless I can stick my finger in, in the holes in his hand and stick my hand in his side. If I can't do that, I don't believe any of you guys. Well, Jesus grants him his wish and meets him a couple days later and says, hey, Thomas, it's me. It's me. I'm really alive. And Thomas is probably like, what? I can't believe this. And Jesus is like, I know. Come here. Stick your finger in the hole in my hands. Stick your hand in my side. It's me. And some of them are thinking, it's a ghost. And he's like, I'm not a ghost. He's like, how can I prove this to you? Give me something to eat and watch. If you see the food, you know I'm a ghost. But if you don't, ghosts don't eat. He proved to them he was physically, bodily resurrected from the dead. And here's what he says to Thomas at the end of this conversation in verse 29, same chapter, John 19, verse 29. Oh, sorry, um, verse 35. Oh, no, where are we? Oh, no, John 20. Yeah, yeah, no. Carry on. It's on the screen. I should just read if I'm the screen. He says this, Then Jesus said to Thomas, You believe because you've seen me, and blessed are those who believe without seeing me. 
He says, yeah, you believe because you've seen, but guess what? It's more blessed for those who are going to believe even though they haven't seen. And he says, and John then writes the purpose of the book. He says, the disciples, they saw Jesus. They were eyewitnesses of many other miraculous signs in addition to the one he recorded in this book. But these ones are written. What you just heard, they're written so that you, the reader, may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and that by believing in him, you would have life by the power of of his name. Amen. Amen's coming from those who are like, yeah, I've experienced that, right? Like, yes, that registers with me. That is what's happened in my life. Here we have a list of eyewitnesses. I, I, I looked it up. I couldn't find any eyewitnesses for this magical bunny laying Easter eggs. Anybody, any, any eyewitnesses here today? Care to give? No, no, no. So there we go. We already got one win. There's eyewitness accounts. But this message of the resurrection was the message that Jesus or uh, was shared by his disciples as well. And not even uh, just the ones who saw it, the next generation, those who Jesus said they, they didn't see, but they believed. They went out and shared the same message. And we see in Acts 17, well, let's put this one on the screen for you. Just stay in John because we're going to go back there. But it says this, as he's talking to them, they, uh, they had all of these, they were in this place called Corinth in Greece, and they had all these, these altars to different gods, and they were like, we're trying to find our way to God. We, we don't know exactly the way there, but we're trying to find our way to him. And it says this, Paul says to them and says this, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier time, but now, now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. And like, well, how can he say that? And Paul says this, he set a day for judging the world with justice. There's a day coming when every person will, be, will meet him face to face. And they'll either meet the Savior or they'll meet the judge. But they will meet one of the two for sure. And he says, God has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And how do we know it's this man? It says, he proved everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Paul's like, man... We know that we know that what God said is true because he raised a man from the dead. This has not happened before. And here's what happened, verse 32. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. Others said, we want to hear more about this later. And that ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him, and they became believers. And among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. You, know, you hear Paul talking about the resurrection of the dead, similar to what I'm doing today. And there was various, various responses to it. So, and, and there is various responses here today as well. For some, they just laughed it off. They're like, no, no that's not possible. You guys might believe whatever you want. You guys, you guys are silly. That might be you today. There were some who were like, oh, man, it sounds crazy. But there's this ring of truth. There's something here I can't deny. There's something I feel on the inside of me that's drawing me. And you know what? I, I, I need to know some more. I'm not in yet. But I'd like to know some more. And there was others who simply said, huh, yeah, it, it makes sense to me. I get it now. I, I know that that's what's coming in. Man, I want in. I'll follow you. And maybe you're here today, like, and like many of them, you've heard the story of what? You're like, this isn't the first time I heard that you know, Jesus died and rose from the dead. I, I go to church every Easter. You, know, I, I, you guys only have one story. This is it. But maybe you wonder like they did. Why did it happen? Why Easter? I know the story of what, but why? And I'd love to tell you that this morning through a story of Jesus. You know in the movies when they have that, you know, halfway through, all of a sudden it's like two years earlier, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> that, that's what we're about to do right now. 
We, we pictured this, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus. Now let's go two years earlier, dot, dot, dot. In order to do that, we got to go, go to the left a few pages, maybe 20 pages. It's about two years. You'll come to John chapter 4. Go with me there. John chapter 4, we, we have this account that John tells of the story of, uh, uh, of uh, Jesus. And if you're familiar with ancient Israel, you got Jerusalem down in the south, you got Galilee up in the north, and between them there's this place called Samaria. And it says that Jesus is going from Jerusalem up to Galilee. And we're going to pick it up in, in uh, verse 5 of John 4. It says, Eventually, Jesus came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Can you picture it? Some of you can. You're like, yeah, yeah, I got a good imagination. I can picture that. What's, what's he doing here? It'd be most like if it was today, he's like, hey, you know that, you know Haldeman County? Everybody familiar with Haldeman County? You know, just so if you go down the road towards Simcoe, there's a little town just down, just a little ways down here called Jarvis. And just outside of Jarvis, there's this water tower, water, water place where people get water. You know, you know the place? Yeah. Now, you, you guys know the place? <laughs> yeah, you know the place. You're like, oh yeah, I, I know the, okay, I'm, I'm there. I know what you're talking about right now. And that's what John's saying. He's like, here's the details. Here's the place that this happened. And can you picture it? So then it says, as Jesus is sitting there by this well, it's hot. He says, soon a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. And Jesus says to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman, she was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? You see that they describe it. Jesus is alone at the well, but she is too. She's coming to the well at noon, you know, in the hottest part of the day. That's not when people go to draw water. She's probably going alone because she doesn't really want to see anybody. And she gets to the well, she looks, she's like, oh, oh man, there's a Jewish guy there. Ah, he's Jewish. He's not going to bother me. We're, we're good. And, and so she, she walks down to draw water. And it says she's surprised when all of a sudden he speaks to her and says, hey, could you get me a drink of water? And what does she do? She reminds him of who they are. She's like, you're a Jewish man. You're a Jewish man. And, and I'm a Samaritan woman. We, we don't speak to one another. Why, why? Are you sure you want to talk to me? And many people might feel that as you think about, you know, as you think about God and you think about it, she's like, think that he would want to talk to me. And she asked him, why are, you asking, why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus actually wastes no time getting to the point. He's actually not asking for water. He's asking her for a drink so that this conversation starts. And here's what he says in verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, You'd actually ask me, and I would give you a drink of living water. Man, picture her thoughts in that moment. Like, wait, God? I, I, don't, I don't think that God would want anything to do with me. What do you, what do you know about God anyway? She, she's probably thinking, I, I don't think you know much about anything, really. You have no idea how to get water out of a well. What do you even know about God? And you say, well, how do you, why do you think she's thinking that? Well, we read in the next verses. She says in verse 11, but sir... You don't have a rope or a bucket. She said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water you talk of? Besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied to her, 
Anyone who drinks this kind of water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. Why? Because it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. He was never talking about just getting a drink. He was talking about her experiencing eternal life. And then in verse 15, she says, Oh, please, sir. The woman said, Give me this water that I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come back here to get water. It's like, this sounds too good to be true. She says, you know what? I'm not going to have to come back to this well. For some reason, coming to this well was something she did not enjoy doing. But she's like, yes, I want the water, the gift that you speak of. And so then Jesus, if you know the story, you can read it later. He says to her, okay, yeah, go and get your husband, and, and, and then I'll talk to both of you. And once again, this has nothing to do with her husband. It's to lead her to the next thought in this conversation. Because she replies and says, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says to her, yeah, you're right. You actually don't. And to be honest, you've had five husbands, haven't you? And her eyes begin to grow wide. And he's like, yeah, and that man you're actually living with and sleeping with right now? That ain't your husband. And she's like, now she's, now she's intrigued. You know what I find interesting? She's not defensive. She's open. And he's not condemning. He's honest. And he says to her, the one you're living with is not, is not your husband. And she begins to ponder this and thinks, man, he doesn't know this because he went and talked to all the men in town. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. How does he know this? And what does she say? She says, I, th- I think God is speaking through you to me. You must be a prophet. How do you know this? And my prayer today has been this, that that same thing might happen, that you might say, I hear God speaking to me through you. I, I, hear, I hear something. He knows me. I, I feel known right now. And there's no way, there's no way that you know, but he does. And she says, you know, then Jesus tells her what he hasn't told anybody before. He says, I'm not a prophet. In verse 26, he says, I'm the Messiah. I'm actually the Savior you're looking for and you don't know it. I'm the way to eternal life. I am the living water that I'm offering to you. What happens to her? Well, we see in verse 28, says, The woman left her water jar beside the well. She ran back to the village telling everyone, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? What I learned from this is this is a pretty good indicator that she got the living water because she left her other water jar just sitting there. And she ran off to go tell everybody in town her whole relational history, which they already knew. And he's like, how many of you would do that? None. How many of you would hope that nobody ever knew all your relational history? That's what Jesus says to her. And she runs off and says, hey, this guy told me everything I ever did. And, and everyone who I've, who I've been with, and, and, and they look at her and go, oh, yeah, we knew that. But how did he know that? And they start, to, they start to become intrigued. And she says to them, if there is hope for me, there's hope for you. And so what do we find? Verse 39, it says, many Samaritans from the village, they believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for what many more to hear his message and believe. Many more were able to experience his voice knowing them saving them. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, we trust in Jesus, not because of what you told us, but because we've heard him ourselves. Man, we've heard him ourselves. And we now know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Their lives are changed. 
This is why Christ came, was to change real people's real lives. So as preparing for this, I was reminded of a, something that happened at my house a, number of, a couple of months ago. I just want to share the story with you. A couple of months ago, was, um, we, we began to notice that our hot water had a strange odor. It smelled a little funny, and uh, I, I was like, ah, oh, it must be something with the water tank. So I drained the hot water tank, uh, and it was gone for a bit, but then the smell came back. I was like, oh, this isn't, this isn't good. And, and so I was like, oh, I'll check the cistern. I checked the cistern, put a flashlight in there, smelled, no, nah, can't see nothing, can't smell anything. Must have, been, must have been in the hot water tank. We're good. But I poured a little bleach in anyways just to, be, just to be safe. And the smell was gone. But a few days later, it returned. And so I Googled the problem. And Google said, you just need to drain the, the hot water tank and bleach the lines for 20 minutes. That'll kill all the bacteria and you're, and you're good to go. And so I did it. And it came back. So I did it again. And it came back. And I did it again three times in a week. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. So then I asked a water expert here from our church. He's like, oh, there's this anode rod in there. You need to take that out. So I tried. And it, they, that thing was so tight in there. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get this out. So I called my buddy Kevin. And he came. And the two of us, we wrenched this thing. And we looked at it. And it's like, well, it looks perfectly fine. It can't be this. We sniffed. We drained. We put it back in. It was like, <laughs> we don't know. But it might be OK. And so I tried everything I could think of and everything I knew. And I just decided, I'm just going to ignore it. It's probably going to go away. <laughs> You probably know where this is going. And I did ignore it. I thought, it's gone. Till my daughter said, Dad, the water just really, really smells bad. And uh, even the cold water has a bit of an odor. And I was like, yeah, I kind of noticed. I smell worse, you know, after a shower than before I take one. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's bad. It's really bad. And uh, I said, you know what? I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to do something. I'm gonna have to get to the to the bottom of it. So I went and I opened the cistern again. And this time, when I looked in, I didn't see anything, but I could smell something. I'm like, oh man, it's in the cold water now too. And I was like, oh. So I poured in more bleach. (laughs) Well, I didn't want to have to pump it out. I didn't. You know, I knew it was gonna be uncomfortable if for me to pump it out and clean the cistern. It's February. It's cold. I don't want to do that. And then my Dutch blood was curdling because I knew I would have to buy water. It was going to cost me something. And I didn't want to do that either. But then I was like, I, I was like, it's just going to be fine until I could see in my kid's eyes. It's not going to be fine. And I couldn't live like this any longer. I wanted to brush my teeth and have my breath smell clean. I was like, okay, I got to do something about this. So what did I do? When I pumped out all the water, my son Link helped me. And it was, it was I'm super glad for his help. And then I went deep down into that cistern. It's 10 feet deep. And as I walked down, I could barely see. And I shone my phone flashlight. And there, all of a sudden, I see in the corner this big, dead, half-decomposed rabbit. It was the Easter bunny. It was disgusting. It was disgusting. I was like, this is so gross. I grabbed a bag and I inverted. I picked up this rabbit, wrapped it in the bag, and I'm dry heaving as I climb the ladder to take it out. I like put it in my garage garbage. I'm like, my whole garage reeks. So I carry it out to the bush and I leave it. I bring the bag back and just the bag makes my whole garage stink. I'm like, this is just absolutely disgusting. And then I just said, you know... We're going to go down there. We're going to clean this thing. Got the pressure washer. We pressure washed every bit of grime, scooped it out of every area in there. And then I had to do the unthinkable. I had to buy a load of water. And, and as I watched, as the, he, he pumped the water in there, he filled it with this tank full of, 
4,000 gallons of sparkling, clean, fresh water. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to have a shower, right? Like, it was just, it was glorious. It was glorious. But as I thought about that story, I was, you know, there was one redemptive thought. I could share it today. Because I feel like sometimes we treat our hearts very much like we treat that cistern. Very much like that, that uh, our lives we treat like that. We, we, we sense in ourselves something deep down in us that's just not right. If we're honest, there's this thing called sin that we, we know it's in there. We just don't want anybody else to know. But the stench seems to come out in all of our actions. We can't keep our word. We, you know, anger comes out in ways. We do things we, we would never want anybody else to do, and we're surprised we do ourselves. And we, and we try sometimes to ignore it and maybe think, oh, hope nobody else notices. If I can keep a good face in front of, front of strangers, it's, it's going to be okay. Maybe it's going to just go away on its own. Maybe we try and treat it with a little bit of bleach. You know, we call it a little religion. I'll go to church on Christmas and Easter and pour a little bit in there. You know, or maybe I'll go to therapy, and maybe they'll help me with my, my issues. What happens? It just keeps coming back. And if it's not in the same place, it comes back in another place. You know, Jesus told the Pharisees as well. He says, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. Like you're religious and look good on the outside. But inside, man, something stinks. And for us today, I look across this room and I see, man, you guys all look good. But maybe inside something stinks. And you, you're the only one who knows it. But if you're honest, maybe you're like, hey, yeah, you know, it's true. It's, it's out of control. It actually consumes and affects every part of me. And maybe you push back like I did. I didn't, I didn't want the discomfort of having to deal with my sister. And maybe you're like, I don't want the discomfort of having to deal with what's going on in my heart. Maybe you're hindered by what you think it will cost. And you're like, I know that if I have to, you know, surrender my life to Christ or follow Christ or deal with what's in here, it's going to cost me more than maybe I want to pay. And maybe you think, man, I'll just clean it up on my own. I just have to try a few more things. If I keep trying a few more things, I'll be able to deal with this. But the truth is, there is only one way to have our hearts cleaned, and it is to have them emptied and filled with living water. And that is the message Jesus gave to that woman at the well that only Christ could do this in us, and that's why he came. What did he say to her? If you only knew the gift that I have for you. Today, he says it to each and every one of us. If you only knew the gift that he has for you. John 7, a few chapters later, Jesus says on the, uh, it was on the last day of a big festival that Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds and said, anyone, anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who's thirsty. If you're here today and you're like, yeah, I, I sense that longing on the inside of my heart. That's him speaking to you. And he's calling you to say, yeah, I know you're thirsty. Just like that woman at the well. She didn't realize it until she heard his voice. And he's like, Oh, you're right. I am thirsty. I need a water that's different than whatever, everything else I've tried. I need something different. He says, yeah, you need me. And he says the same thing to that crowd. He says the same thing to you today. Anyone who believes or trusts in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Amen. What's he saying? Don't try and fix your life. You never will. You never will be able to fix this problem. You know, um, it's simply saying just to surrender and say, Jesus, I just I want what you're offering. A.W. Tozer, an old dead guy, said this, the man who uh, has struggled to purify... Oh, he's a good guy, too. The man who has struggled to purify himself and has had nothing but repeated failures... Maybe that sounds like you. You've struggled to purify yourself and you've had nothing but repeated failures will experience real relief when he stops tinkering with his soul and looks away to the perfect one. While he looks at Christ, the very things that he has so long been trying to do will be getting done within him. Because it'll be God working in him, both to will and to do. We said it the other day, turn your eyes on Jesus. 
That is what he's calling each and every one of us to do, to trust that his death and his resurrection were enough to save us, to humbly admit that we need a Savior. We're a mess inside without him. And that we would consider the cost of following him and consider it worth it and then allow him to flood our hearts with him, with his living water, because those other things, they, they can't survive there. You know, he conquered sin so we might become right with him. He conquered death so we could truly live with him. He left an empty tomb so he could fill empty hearts today. And not just full, but overflowing. I leave you with this thought. That's good news for us. That it's not just that he'll fill us full, but it will overflow into the lives of those around us as well. Just like the woman at the well, she couldn't help herself but go and share it with whoever, whoever she could. This is who he is, and this is what he's done in my life. You know, I discovered how that rabbit got into my cistern. It was the overflow drain. It hadn't been properly plugged or sealed, and that rabbit had found its way in there this winter. And as I thought about it, I thought there's two ways I could have stopped that. One, I could have blocked it, and if you have a cistern, block your overflow drain. Uh, I could have blocked it, but the other thing I realized, too, is if it was overflowing, if my cistern was continuously overflowing, that thing never would have had a chance to get in. And that is the truth of what he desires for our heart. That as believers, our hearts would be so overflowing with Christ that nothing else has a chance to get in. Christians, Jesus followers, this message isn't just for those who don't know him. This message is for each of us today. That our eyes would be turned upon him. That we would allow that living water bubbling on the inside of us once again to say, Jesus, you deserve my life. What you did, I'm reminded again, I want to live for you. And so that's my question for you, each person in this room today. Do you hear him speaking to you today? If not, I hope you enjoyed the story. But there could be something so much more powerful if you hear and sense his voice. And here's my question. What are your thoughts? As an individual, what are your thoughts about the resurrection of Jesus? What do you think? Just like that day with Paul, there will be some here today who laugh and say, ah, probably just a fairy tale like the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus. Tooth fairy, Jesus, same stuff. And that's your choice. There'll be some here today and you say, oh man, I did not expect to come to church and feel like he was speaking to me. But I can't deny it. And I need to know more. Man, I encourage you, if that's you, pull the string. Seek it out. What's the worst that could happen? Your life could be changed for better for the rest of your life. You could meet the very God of creation. If he's like, I'm not sure what that looks like. I promise you it's good. Pull the string because he's pulling on your heart today. But he won't force you. He'll invite you. He'll invite you. And then finally, some here today, you're just like, yeah. And it's, it's, it's all clicking for me. It's all clicking for me. I want Jesus. I, I just want him. I shared that story of the rabbit with a girl in Tim Hortons, a number of weeks back, and she's like, yeah, it makes sense. That's my heart. I want him to fill my heart with him. And she gave her life to Christ. That could be you today. And I'd encourage you to do it. I know what happened in my life once I decided I'm going to follow him, change the rest of my life. And I know that my eternity is set with him. Why? Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the eyewitnesses that we can know the truth of what happened. Oh, thank you, Father, for the meaning of this account that it's more than just a, a Bible story, but it affects our lives today. Lord, we know it was our sin that held you on that cross. 
I know it was mine. And Jesus, I'm grateful today that you love me enough to come for me and forgive me, to wash me clean, to fill us uh, with your living water, to fill us with you. So Jesus, today we turn our eyes to you once again. Once again, that we might live this day with you and for you. Lord, I pray for those here today who don't know you, but they sense you. Lord, I pray that you give them courage to, to seek out more, just to know the truth for themselves. Lord, I pray that as they surrender to you, repent of sin and turn to you, you would save them. They would have no doubt, no doubt of who you are and your goodness. Father, thank you for this morning, chance to spend it together celebrating you and your goodness. Lord, may we overflow with your spirit and your life to those around us. May we see a hurting world the way you see them. May we love them the way you love them. Jesus, may your kingdom continue to grow as a result. Uh, thank you, Father, once again, for your love for us. In your beautiful name, I pray. Amen.